Now, as we approach the end of 2022, a whole day ago now, I kept seeing and hearing these retrospectives, these recaps or summaries of the year that had been, the ups and the downs, the times that we had laughed together as a society and the times that we had wept together as a, as a society as well. And that kind of recapping, that summarising, that retrospective look seems natural and even fitting to do at the end of the year. I wonder, what would you include in your recap of 2022? What highs would there be? What lows might there be? I suspect that for many of us, at least part of our recap would include times of deep sorrow or loss, times of disappointment or even distress. And if distress isn't a significant part of your 2022 story, I'm, I'm glad. But I also suspect, in fact I know from today, that distress is a part of the story of those that you know and love, those in the room with us now. For myself, I know that we've had a few seasons of real distress in our family this past year. In the middle of the year, as some of you might know, my wife Betty was heavily pregnant when she went into hospital to get a persistent headache checked out. It turned out that a virus had gotten into her brain and although it wasn't as bad a virus as it could have been, um, we still had a scary few days. We were in the hospital and I couldn't do much except sit and wait and pray. While I was struggling in that time to find, even find the words to pray, I came across Psalm 77, our psalm for today. At first it shocked me a bit. I was confronted by its honesty. I thought, can we really pray like this? But I was also comforted. It gave me a way to pray in my distress. And I knew I wasn't the first to wrestle with hard questions. As I've spent more and more time in this psalm in the last six months, both in more times of distress and in times of relief as well, it's kept prompting the question for me, when we're in distress, how can we be honest with God and keep on trusting Him at the same time? How would God have us respond faithfully to our distress? As we work our way through the psalm this morning, we'll see again and again that when we're distressed, God invites us to call on Him, to call on Him in faith, to call on Him with honesty, and to call on Him to remain faithful. There's an outline up to my right, which you'll see those points if you find that helpful as we listen. As we dive into the psalm, I encourage you to look at it now. Right at the start, we see the psalmist's real distress, and we see how he responds. He calls out desperately to God. Read verse 1 with me. I cried out to God for help. I cried out to God to hear me. I cried out. I cried out. We can almost hear the psalmist's words through the page. And who is he crying out to? In case you missed it the first time, he's crying out to God. God's the one that he's addressing. And what's he seeking? He's looking for help in his day of trouble, help in his distress. Help that he trusts will come when God hears his cry. Right from the start, we see that the psalmist is speaking from a position of faith, a posture of faith. He's trusting God here. And that shouldn't really surprise us. If you're here right back in our first sermon in the Psalms, we read in Psalm 1 
about the way of the righteous. And the rest of the Psalms, including this one, teach us how to live in that way, how to live the life of faith. This means that, this means that God offers up all the Psalmists, including the Psalmist of Psalm 77, as examples for us to follow. It means that God invites us to respond to our distress by imitating this Psalmist. So let's keep seeing how the psalmist responds. In verse 2, we see more of his posture of faith. He says, When I was in distress, I sought the Lord. At night, I stretched out untiring hands, and I would not be comforted. In the depths of his distress, and he knew distress, the psalmist looked to God. But he found no respite, no relief in the nighttime. Perhaps some of us can relate to that. But he kept on looking, keeps on looking to God for help, holding out his hands in prayer all through the night. The depths of his distress are clear. What's a bit less clear are the life circumstances that have caused that distress. It doesn't really mention any of the specific circumstances there. Perhaps he's reflecting on the pain of Israel's exile, or perhaps there's a more individual grief that the psalmist is reflecting on. But that openness, the, the fact that it could be either of those things or other things as well, that invites us to take up these words for ourselves. Although our circumstances will certainly be different than that of a psalmist, our response to our distress can still follow that same pattern. So the psalmist responds to his distress by calling on God, calling on God rather, in faith. And God invites us to do the same thing. At one level, this sounds a bit obvious, but it's also a crucial thing. As Betty helpfully illustrated for us this morning, there are many places we can turn in our distress, in our sorrow, many places that we can seek help and relief. And some of these can be genuinely helpful, maybe more helpful than some of the ones Betty mentioned. But uh, others can sadly cause harm to ourselves in the short term or in the long term, and can cause harm to others around us. But God invites us here to recognise that he's the one who's ultimately able to help in our distress. So God invites us to turn to him. And in the midst of his distress, the psalmist is determined to do just that. And he does it. He turns to God and remembers God. But that doesn't bring any instant relief for him. Read verse 3 with me. I remembered you, God, and I groaned. I, I meditated. My spirit through faith. Remembering and meditating, these are words that come up again and again through the psalm, so we'll pay attention when we see them in the future. But here, when he remembers and brings God to his mind, when he meditates or muses about God, that doesn't bring the psalmist to a place of delight or a place of joy or a place of praise. It brings him to groaning and weakness in his inmost self. I wonder if you found yourself in a similar position sometimes. Still trusting, still looking to God, but not experiencing comfort in the moment. That was certainly my experience as I sat by the hospital, by Betty's hospital bed. The psalmist has a bit more to say about this uh, lack of comfort in verses 4 through 9. So we'll turn there. We're going to see that God, that there, the psalmist is calling out to God honestly. 
we'll see that God's inviting us to do the same. So as we move to verse 4, we'll see the psalmist describes God as playing an active part in his distress. God's involved in this. He says, you kept my eyes from closing. I was too troubled to speak. He's directly addressing God here. And the psalmist says that God is causing his sleeplessness. God's involved. He begins our second section with complete honesty and honest directness. And that's something that he's going to continue in. Then in the midst of his trouble in verse 5, the psalmist turns to the past. I thought about the former days, he says, the years of long ago. And perhaps this turn to the past brought to his mind songs of praise. Songs about what God did in those former days. Songs about what God did in those years of long ago. So in verse 6 we read, I remembered my songs in the night. My heart meditated and my spirit asked and my spirit inquired. Again, we see the psalmist remembering, we see the psalmist meditating. But again, there's no instant relief. Here, when he remembers and meditates about the past, that prompts him to ask a series of hard, painfully honest questions. And we read the start of them in verse 7. We read him ask, Will the Lord reject forever? Will he never show his favour again? Has his unfailing love vanished forever? Has his promise failed for all time? Has God forgotten to be merciful? Has he, in anger, withheld his compassion? These are questions that cut to the heart of who God is. They cut to the heart of his character. This is the God who revealed himself back in Exodus 34 as the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands, and forgiving wickedness, rebellion, and sin. And yet here, the psalmist seems to be experiencing a disconnect, experiencing God as the one who has rejected him, the one who isn't being gracious, the one whose unfailing love has somehow vanished, and the one who's forgotten to keep on being merciful. It seems like there's a disconnect between what the, what the psalmist believes and knows to be true about God and what he's experiencing of God at the time. And so he asks these hard and honest questions of God. These questions are a part of what the psalmist is doing in the psalm as a whole. He's calling out to God in his distress and he's calling out in these questions. He's addressing this to God. And he hasn't somehow stopped being a faithful person between verse 1 and verse 9. These questions might be deeply honest questions, but they're questions that come out of a deep faith, a trust, a hope that God is who he says he is. It might be a deep faith, but I don't think it's a comfortable faith that he's showing there. He's wrestling with the pain of God's sovereignty. There's some discomfort for him. He knows that God is able to help him in his distress. But God doesn't seem to be helping him right now. You might be able to relate to that very well yourselves. Perhaps God's sovereignty and his control over all things isn't a balm in your distress. Perhaps it can even inflame it for a time. As we sit in a hospital with a loved one, 
as we experience the pain of relationships breaking down, as we see our plans for life and Christian service upended, and as we grieve the loss of loved ones, whether old or young, we might well ask, God, where are you in this? You are able to help. Why don't you seem to be helping? The psalmist called out to God with hard and honest questions, and he invites us to do the same. Now, the psalmist doesn't have a quick fix. Um, it would be surprising if there was a quick fix to those questions. But in our third section of the psalm, he does move beyond these hard and honest questions. He intentionally shifts his focus. And so in our third section, we see the psalmist focusing on God's past actions. He calls on God to remain faithful, to remain faithful to his character that is expressed in those past actions. So we see in verse 10, there's a sort of summary of what's come before. Verse 10, he says, Then I thought, to this I will appeal. The years when the Most High stretched out his right hand. And this could have an even stronger sense. Something like, this is what has hurt me. This is what has caused me pain. The years when the Most High stretched out his right hand. The psalmist is again feeling a pain of disconnection here, a disconnect a gap between how God once acted and what he knows of how God once acted and how he's currently experiencing God in his life. And again, the psalmist is determined to remember and to meditate. But for the first time, his focus of that is shifts to God's past actions. So we read in verse 11 and 12, I will remember the deeds of the Lord. Yes, I will remember your miracles of long ago. I will consider all your works and meditate on all your deeds. In the midst of his pain, the psalmist focuses his attention on what God did in the past. And we'll see in the coming verses that these mighty deeds, these miraculous works, that refers particularly to God delivering his people from slavery in Egypt, the events of the Exodus. We might think of some different mighty deeds that God has done for us as he's delivered us in his son Jesus. But for the psalmist, even remembering these deeds, that still causes him pain in the present, because he's not experiencing that right now. The psalmist goes on to do what he said he would do. In verse 13, he he goes on to remember the deeds of the Lord by describing some of them throughout the rest of the psalm. So we read in verse 13 through verse 15, Your ways, God, are holy, or perhaps were holy. What God is as great as our God, You are the God who performs miracles. You display your power among the peoples. With your mighty arm, you redeem your people, the descendants of Jacob and Joseph. We could imagine Moses, back in the times of the Exodus, singing words like this, just after God delivered his people from Egypt. And Moses did sing words just like this in Exodus 15, which you can chase up later. It's a wonderful list, isn't it? A list of things that the psalmist and the things that we would normally praise God for. Uh, things we would normally wonder at in amazement. God's holiness, his greatness, his miraculous, powerful act of rescuing and redeeming his people from Egypt. These are truly wonderful and praiseworthy things. 
But what about the psalmist when he's suffering? In his distress, the very things he once praised God for have become a longing cry. A cry that God would act now in ways that match up with how he acted then. A cry for God to be faithful, consistent with his past actions. I wonder if you've experienced this for yourself. When a song of praise becomes a cry of longing, I have myself on At a friend's funeral a few years ago, we sang a song that's called Oh Praise the Name. A lot of praise within that song. But within it, there's one verse that stuck with me and that I yeah, can't get out of my head now. The music overall and the song as a whole carries this sense of triumph. But ever since that day, I can't help but sing this verse tearfully, longing deeply to experience the reality that I speak of. I'll read it out now, the verses. Then on the third, at break of dawn, the Son of Heaven rose again. O trampled death, where is your sting? The angels roar for Christ the King. Perhaps in seasons of distress, we can take up songs of praise and sing them maybe not feeling praise, uh, not feeling joy, but sing them with a sense of longing, a longing to experience that reality that they speak of. Now the psalmist, the psalmist, his longing cry continues in the last section of the psalm. Here we see a vivid image, wonderful, wonderful imagery of God delivering Israel through the waters of the Red Sea. Let's read verse 16 through 18. That imagery. The waters saw you, God. The waters saw you and writhed. The very depths were convulsed. The clouds poured down water. The heavens resounded with thunder. Your arrows flashed back and forth. Your thunder was heard in the whirlwinds. Your lightning lit up the world. The earth trembled and quaked. It's a picture here of a God who's in complete control. In complete control over all chaos and over all the enemies of his people. His sovereignty is clear. His control is clear. But there's also a gentle and mysterious providence at the psalm ends. Let's read verse 19 and 20. Your path led through the sea. Your way through the mighty waters, though your footprints were not seen. You led your people like a flock by the hand of Moses and Aaron. And he ends there. It's as if the psalmist is crying out to God, You are the sovereign one. You are the one in control. You once led your people gently like a flock. Lead us, lead me like that now. He wants to experience that reality that those words speak of. Now, as we look back over the psalm as a whole, we've seen that throughout the psalm, God invites us to imitate his psalmist. We've seen that God invites us to call out to him in our distress, to turn to him. We've seen that he calls on us, invites us to call out to him in faith like the psalmist did. That he invites us to call out to him honestly, like the psalmist did. And here, as we come to an end, we see that God's inviting us to call on him to be faithful to his past actions. 
to act in in line with them, to bring them about in our our lives now. We might do that in the same kind of way that the psalmist does. We could do that by remembering what God has done for us in delivering us, not out of Egypt, but delivering us from sin and death through the death of Jesus. We can do that by longing for God to take the reality of what is accomplished in the past in Jesus and to make that fully known in our experience now as we long for his return. And we might, we might do that by longing especially for Jesus to return, to come, to make all things new. In response to our distress, God calls us to pray, come, Lord Jesus, 